0: End every workout the right way with Core Power. Fueled by 26 grams of high-quality protein to give your body what it needs when it needs it. Recover and build lean muscle with Core Power.
1: What's up, y'all? I'm Amanda Seals. And listen, I get it. We're in some serious time, so I think some of y'all forgot I'm a comment. She had them jokes. I mean, you forgot I had a whole HBO comedy special. I-V-A! You forgot I showed love to how black women give compliments. Okay, polka dots. And some shade to how white women move in corporate America. Stop CCing all these unnecessary people on these goddamn emails. I get it. We've been cooped up for a long time. That's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to amandaseals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I gonna have to get?
0: It's a good show. I'm sleepy. She's sad. We're going to record a podcast anyway because we're goddamn professionals. You're listening to Mormon and the Method. If you put a Mormon in his asshole and a Method also in his asshole, there's two people in his asshole. <laughs> we are recording a podcast from inside an asshole. <laughs> Um, Of a confused Mormon man Welcome back to the podcast being recorded inside of a Mormon man's rectum Did you hear when I was high last night and I was workshopping a news anchor voice (laughs) The sketch where I was just like I was just high and I was just going Good evening It's your boy With the (laughs) evening news
1: (laughs) Yes I did hear you doing that to yourself in the other bedroom
0: good Good evening it's me, ya boy, with world with world news tonight. It's me, ya boy. <laughs> and now we turn to sports. Oh shit! What up? It's dat boy, <laughs> dat boy. What do you have for us? <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, 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 a news anchor man rolls in on a unicycle, and he's like, <laughs> "The Washington Capitals <laughs> played the Pittsburgh Penguins today." And then at the end, I go. He says. Back to you, yeah, boy.
1: You have been workshopping a lot of characters.
0: Feel like you I got like to get my SNL frog. audition ready. Yeah. Got to get it ready because the, the reign of Pete Davidson has gone on long enough. I should be on SNL being raised by John Mullaney and making out with Kate Beckinsale. Me! Me! My dad didn't do shit on 9 11. He didn't do anything. My, if only my dad had been more heroic.
1: Is that his deal?
0: Is that his deal? Is that his deal? I don't know if you'd call your uh, father dying tragically on one of the worst days in American history a deal, but yeah, p david's dad was a firefighter and died his on nine eleven.
1: Whatever, <laughs> his brand.
0: He was on a. I just remember a roast. Who said it? Was it Jeff Ross? He said Snoop Dog has more s- smoke in his lungs than Pete Davidson's dad did on 9/11. Oh,
1: oh my god. <laughs> Damn. It was a good one. It was that a pretty a good one. It was a very good one. I don't I don't <laughs> Jesus.
0: I don't think Pete laughed, but um
1: who knows? I mean, by now you got to have a sense of humor about it.
0: A billionaire was getting a penis enlargement operation in Paris today and died. <laughs> Are you serious? (laughs) A billionaire was making his penis bigger. You'd think that a billion dollars would be enough, but it's not.
1: Yeah, isn't that the point? It just substitutes...
0: uh, Yeah, what do you got to get a big dick for? You got a billion dollars.
1: Anybody um, will
0: sleep with you.
1: My mom just watched that uh, Lorena Bobbitt.
0: Yeah, did she say she liked
1: it? She liked it, but that it was uh, actually mostly about how abusive... What an abusive piece of shit! Yeah, that's the man. That's was. the point. Yeah, like
0: I, the, I, I was fascinated as soon as I heard about that because it is one of those stories that took place in a different time, like not that long ago, but right. completely different time. Yep. And all we, all we did, all we had, all the p- late night punchlines were just about that crazy lady cut a man's wee wee off. You know. Yeah. Uh, they weren't allowed to say uh. Cock back then they had to say wee oui, wee. Oui I on, think I was a kid when it
1: night. happened, or maybe I was a teenager. But uh, yeah, it was just all about what she did.
0: But in 2019, it's a completely different story. Yeah, I mean that's a a, a woman who lived in a terrible, awful, abusive relationship. I don't think we called it and,
1: rape when your husband raped you. Back oh, then.
0: there are still states today that it's not illegal for your husband to if you if you guys are 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 married then it's not rape. In Utah, at least, uh, a husband can rape his wife and it's not illegal.
1: But he can't have uh, consensual sex with someone he's not married to.
0: Yeah, that is illegal. We just found out today. (laughs) Uh, Looks like the Utah lawmakers might be uh, finally overturning that one. That was a headline that Jessica shared in the
1: finger on the pulse. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we were like, "Uh, can we uh, legalize medical marijuana? And they were like, "Uh, (laughs) well, look, walk before you run. How about (laughs) how about we legalize sex? That seems overdue, doesn't it? We were like, yeah, but I I know that Utahns, I know that you're very excited that you can finally have unmarried sex. But do not let that distract you from the fact that they took away our medical marijuana that we voted yes on. Yeah. It's
1: they took it away, or they just fucked the law up so much that you're never going to get access to it.
0: Yeah, they were, they just they completely changed it. They, we we passed a proposition, and then the lawmakers immediately revised it and changed it so that it gave more power to pharmaceutical companies and and doctors and stuff. So. Oh, uh, great. The system works. It wins. <laughs> Well, we can't get high, but we can fuck the shit out of the singles ward. So they're very good. Very good. Jessa, talk to us about snow globes.
1: Uh, I want to talk about uh, my mental health a little bit. Um, I found that. Shocker. That, uh, I keep thinking I'm better. I keep thinking I'm cured. I keep thinking, like, okay, boom, I have fixed it. I am back. Everything's great. And then it starts up again. And what I have just accepted is that for whatever reason, I got a very long reprieve. And now I am just uh, peeling back layers of this infinite onion of trauma. And that is just what it's going to be for the remainder. Or the interim. I don't know. I don't know if it will uh, subside at some point. But I will appreciate the breaks knowing that there's another wave coming. Here's where I'm at now.
0: Okay. What's wrong now?
1: So um, you, for whatever reason, are a... Whoa. I don't like these you statements. (laughs)
0: Okay. I believe uh, Dr. Shaw asked us to use I statements.
1: Uh, When I am around you... I, um, you are a, a a mirror, which we have talked a lot about, but you are a trigger, which has very little to do with you, has very little to do with you for whatever reason. I am learning a lot of this stuff in your reflection. I think to be honest, what it is, is, and what I'm learning is that when I experience trauma, And uh, this goes for my entire life. My brain does something where it just seals it in a bubble and moves it to the side. And I don't consider myself when I think of someone who just like suppresses their feelings. I don't think I'm that person. I think I've been pretty self-aware most of my life. I see myself as just a survivor. But before you came into my life, there just wasn't a lot of time needed for an emotional reaction. It just like, it was a process that felt healthy and I would have an emotional reaction and then logic would just come in and be like, okay, well, here's why this is in your best interest. Here's why this needed to happen. Here's uh, you're not a victim and here's whatever. And That kind of stuff came after I woke up, right? Because then I just had this life philosophy that helped me deal with things. But then I also had this just like big picture where when someone does something to me, big picture pops up after a few minutes and it's like, okay, put yourself in that person's shoes, like obviously, whatever. I haven't experienced what I would consider to be trauma really outside of uh, a rape guy in 2004 since I woke up. As a child, what I am.
0: Rape guy is one of the new Phase Three uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe characters. <laughs> <laughs> They're bringing out like all these weird people you haven't heard of. Uh, you know? Is he th- Captain oh. Marvel? Did Ant- he get hot shotted Rape guy.
1: Um. Anyway. Hot
0: shot is another character. <laughs>
1: A coping mechanism that I was never fully tuned into, but I have talked a lot about my inability to attach to people and my inability to connect to people. And for whatever reason, you're someone that I connected to very fast, I attached to very fast. Uh, I was just involuntarily vulnerable with immediately. And even the first week that we were uh, around each other, I was like marveling over all of these uncharacteristic experiences I was having with you, where I wanted you to stand in my space, like uh, things that aren't like romantic. They are way beyond my reaction to romance. And I think because... I attached to you because I felt so connected to you because I felt so disarmed around you that that is why you trigger all of these defenses for me is because you you disarm me like I don't I release my defenses and then it's like me versus my defenses where your average person my defenses just deal with them and I I don't ever feel a connection to people because my defenses are in between us if that makes sense and but I didn't know any of this this has been like after. After so many anxiety attacks and so much drama. And for a long time, it was like, I really thought that all these experiences were you and it was about you. And, and uh, we are long past that. Something I learned about in the winter was attachment theory. And I knew about attachment because I studied it from the parenting perspective, When I was pregnant with Phoenix, because I was like, uh, how to be attached to your kid, like I was looking for that kind of a book, you know, how to be a good Mm -hmm. mom, because I was terrified that I was never going to attach to her, because that's how much I don't attach to people. And uh, even people who I'm very close to and I care for very much, they would tell you that they are very close to me. And I would tell you that I secretly obsess over what if they died and I would have to cry at their funeral and what if I couldn't cry and why don't I feel the way that other people feel for people. And I always feel like I'm doing an impression of someone who's attached to people. Attachment theory is that if you meet all of your kids' needs, especially babies... Uh, If you meet all of their needs without making them cry for a long time or without hovering over them and making them feel like it's something scary, if you just meet their needs in a timely fashion, they will grow up to be adults who just expect their needs to be met, their emotional needs to be met, and their life will just be easier because that is just their expectation. And I used attachment that resonated. But I also used attachment theory as a way to make sure that I bonded with my kids. So they slept in my arms at night and in naps. They breastfed on demand for uh, uh, Phoenix for over a year, Lily for three years. Uh, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. I met their needs. I never let them cry. Like when Nicole was little, it was still like cried out and shit. I didn't do any of that. The book talks about how insane cry it out is and I'm not judging anyone that does it but when you look at the psychology crying is how they communicate that they have a need and uh they only have you to meet their needs they can't meet their own needs so they can only cry to you when they want uh affection but in the 90s and the 80s and the fucking when we were kids uh they didn't think affection was a need they thought like food and a clean diaper was a need, but like being held's not a need. That's you're going to spoil your baby. And Mm -hmm. so that belief system, it is a need. The, the need to just feel connected to your attachment figure is a need when that needs not met in childhood, which it wasn't for most of us, uh, because we were raised in the Dr. Spock era of don't spoil your baby, which is not possible. Uh, there are two things that can happen. Instead of having a secure attachment system where this is like a uh, a programming, like deep in you that everyone has, uh, instead of having a secure attachment system that just expects your emotional needs to be met, you will develop either an avoidant attachment system where the baby just at some point decides, I don't need, I don't have needs. Or uh, an anxious preoccupied So an anxious preoccupied baby would be the baby that you could, like the mother can never turn a corner without the baby freaking out. And then the anxious preoccupied, you would kind of see that in their personality as a kid. That person grows up to be the person that texts 500 times, uh, uh, that's jealous, so,
0: yeah, so the attachment styles that we learn from our parents as babies is then the styles that we bring into our adult relationships. Yeah. So all of, all of our relationships, and that extends to friendships and and, uh, and other relationships too, yeah. but it's mostly on display in a, in a romantic love uh, partnership. So uh, if you are someone that is uh, has an anxious attachment style, you like need to see your partner at all times, and you are constantly like chasing them for a reassurance that they are still there, that they still love you, and all this stuff. Anxious people uh, can get like cast as like more jealous, you know, uh, clingy. or clingy, uh, the people that are, that are calling and texting throughout the day, uh, that are looking at, you know, uh, your social media and like very preoccupied with all these things. An avoidant person, uh, in relationships, uh, can like run from, from affection, you know, when people, uh, an avoidant person, uh, doesn't, uh, post any photos of their significant other on their social media uh, an avoidant person doesn't say I love you and stuff doesn't return affection as, as as much because the they are still playing that same relationship that they had uh with their parents when they were a baby which is like I'm fine alone and I don't need I don't need anybody I'm okay by myself yeah I'm okay
1: Right. So yeah, it talks about something called signaling. Uh, and this made me feel as I found out that my attachment style is uh, not what I thought it was. this made me feel so much more normal because this is something I would notice with my kids. So when you put like a nine month old right they're like the curious they're they can crawl, they can sit up, they're old enough that they can play with toys. Uh, you put a nine-month-old in a room that they've never been in before and there's a lot of things in the room for them to play with. You put a nine-month-old in that room with their mom sitting in a chair, one of their parents sitting in the chair, the, the child will play with toys and if you watch the child every once in a while, they'll turn around and uh, look back at their parent and then go back to playing. If at some point... That's called uh, signaling, I think. It's uh, they are just like reaching out to make sure that they are safe. And as long as that adult is there, this is all just curious, cool things to explore. And if uh, they turn around and suddenly their attachment figure isn't there, the child will lose their shit because now all of a sudden these things that are unfamiliar are scary because the thing, their home base that makes them feel safe, the place where they put their feet is not, uh, there. And so they will freak out. Um, so this is deep seated, uh, Programming in us like everyone has an attachment system and you have it for the rest of your life. So for a, a secure uh, child who like from from infancy had their attachment system with their parent walks back into the room, uh, they'd be fine. And they did a bunch of experiments like watching uh, babies with different attachment styles where the um, anxious preoccupied wouldn't be able to calm back down. Even after the parent came back into the room, they would show a lot of like anxious uh, behavior. Like they got activated and uh, they they had to like climb back up. And I remember with my kids when they breastfed, they would have to like climb up and check in almost like they weren't hungry, but like, that was just the way they would nurse for like 30 seconds and then go back and play. And it was almost on a clock. And, um, these were things that I noticed with Phoenix and Lilith because I bonded with them that I didn't pick up on at all with Nicole because I hadn't. So, um, into adulthood, Another thing that I really needed to read, uh, because I like to talk about uh, the fact that I've always been in a uh, that I feel like I've been in a relationship most of my life, and uh, that I don't need it, uh, because it feels pathetic to say that you want or need a relationship, um, was that we are designed to have an attachment figure. We are designed to have uh, a someone that is a safe home base for us that helps us feel uh, uh, safe and secure so we can go out and explore the world. And if you have a healthy, secure attachment, that's what that person is. And then you can like, it, it creates more independence if you have a secure attachment style. And that secure... Uh, people signal just like babies do all the time. They just don't notice that they're doing it because no one's insecure. So, uh, sending an "I love you" text or a heart emoji or whatever throughout the day, uh, you know, walking by and playing with the hair of your partner, uh, reaching out and holding a hand real quick, uh, giving a hug—stuff like this—is is adults' way of checking in. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like reconnecting to their home base. And nobody like notices it in a, sh- in a secure thing. But when you get uh, either of the insecure attachment systems, you have an anxious preoccupied person who if they send a heart emoji uh, and don't get an immediate response, the clock starts and they start to panic because uh
0: what's wrong what's wrong are they mad at me yeah Why they, there has to be something wrong what did i do you're replaying everything that happened that morning yeah you're like okay i guess i i was a little short maybe and that, that she she got upset about that and uh uh maybe we're about to break up uh maybe she's planning on breaking up with me maybe she's fucking someone else right now and that's why uh because i mean like it's the middle of the day she's at her desk she should have her phone like she should see this and why if she could see this why wouldn't she write back and uh maybe it's because she hates me or maybe it's because uh you know she's getting fucked by her boss right now oh i I hate that all of the other accounts
1: right now i should see all the likes because maybe the likes are a clue yeah it's like uh so for the, the avoidant, because uh, I, I don't want to make it sound like the avoidant is bad. The avoidant is the cooler one. Like I would rather be like we shit on clingy people. And I certainly have spent a lot of time talking shit about. Details, <laughs> Guess which one I turn out to be. But I have been avoidant. Uh, I'm a different brand of avoidant. But so for the avoidant, their attachment system does deactivates. And so when they get too close or intimate to someone else, their attachment system will start, instead of them having anxious, oh my God, he's going to leave, their attachment system will start uh, devaluing the object of their affections to try to create distance. And they won't even know that they are doing it. Oh God, she's so annoying. Yeah.
0: Ugh, I don't like how she does that thing with her mouth. Yeah. I don't... Uh, why did why is she texting me? Like uh, like you know, she's not respectful of my time at work. Like she knows I'm at work. Why is she bothering me? I'm not gonna text her back because that's just playing into her game and I don't like these games that she plays and uh, da, 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 you know. Yeah. I'm gonna you just uh, go somewhere else after work today and uh, come home when I feel like it and there's nothing wrong with that. Was, uh, is there a rule that says I have to tell her where I'm at every second of the day? Like it's yeah, I'm not a fucking slave, jeez.
1: And in a relationship, they tend to end up together. There's a lot of attraction between those two. But even if the anxious preoccupied isn't acting anxious preoccupied at the time. You keep saying
0: preoccupied. Is there a different kind of anxious? Are there two kinds of anxious? Because you say anxious preoccupied. Is there an anxious something else? Or oh no, it? that's just what okay. it's called. Right. I
1: think those are two different things. Also because of uh, an anxious, uh, an, an well I'll say anxious from now on, but the preoccupied is a big thing where the anxious person never stops thinking. Like they are preoccupied with the relationship where a secure person is just in a relationship. And uh, that was a lot of my experience with Jason after I did work through Jason was just so secure that I eventually just didn't need to be activated anymore and then I just had a secure relationship in which the relationship was fantastic but it took up no mental space when uh it didn't need to I was, mm-hmm. I was just, we were just happy and free to do whatever our life was and then come back and enjoy time together. And we were never reading in to what the other person was saying or, or, you know, obsessing over the relationship itself. The relationship itself just existed and avoidance will, uh, have like a phantom X that got They're away for. and every, yeah, that, that, uh, nobody else can ever m- be what that phantom ex is. Or uh, someone that got away that they never got to get. Like a fantasy person that no one else can ever achieve. Or they have like a storybook version of romance in their head. And so they will... uh, Whatever they
0: have at the current moment isn't isn't it. it. Isn't it? This is just a a passing thing. I don't really love... I'm not really in love because...
1: If I was in love, you would never get on my nerves and, uh, you know, I would. Yeah,
0: yeah. There'd be nothing you did that bothered me because the fantasy fantasy person in their head is perfect and yeah they uh are continually they're never with the fantasy person right it's just a fantasy
1: and there are stories I read one book of just stories of attachment styles which I really liked because it just like created this uh pattern in my head so I can understand it and there were a lot of stories of guys who just like or women that never got over their ex and then when you talk to the ex she was uh a victim of his attachment, like not a victim, but like he uh, rejected her. Like that's why she's his ex. Mm. And, uh, and then she just became uh, this phantom that he could uh, go after. But the attachment system is deactivating and all we know to be love in this society is attachment. And so it's real hard to tell underneath uh, what all this other stuff is. There were also stories about a man, who uh tried to get with this chick for like two years and she finally said yes and they he uh whisked her off on some camping trip and it was amazing and then she fell asleep that night And he was all of a sudden just the walls were closing in and he was like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? I don't like her. I never liked her. Like, what was I thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And she woke up in the morning and he broke up with her. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, I think he left her. He might've left her on the mountain, but it was something like super, because he had that two years of safety, that two years of her not saying yes. And then she finally said yes. And he was like, I, you need to get an Uber off of this mountain, off of the mountain. But
0: so I uh, did do a little bit of marriage counseling right before Tabitha left. and uh, like I was trying to keep us together. And we went and saw this woman and she was great and she specialized in attachment systems. And our first meeting, she gave us some questionnaires, a packet of papers to take home. and they asked us all these questions about, uh, our relationship and like what do, our, and our behaviors, and then we each had an individual session with her, and she asked us questions about our childhood and just questions about our moms and our dads and all these different things. And then with that, with the stuff, the the questions that she asked us, plus the the survey thing that we filled out, she like diagnosed our attachment systems, and I was diagnosed <laughs> <laughs> as the anxious one. And Tabitha was the avoidant one, and it resonated so hard. Like, and I, I was feeling super hopeful after these meetings because, especially when she said, a lot of people with these two styles find each other. Yeah, Uh, it it happens, and it creates all these same problems that you guys have had in your relationship. But like, I was, I was optimistic because she said that like there is a solution. Yeah, like so many people have these problems that some that other people have gotten their PhD in that exact problem. Like this woman is an expert in an avoidant anxious relationship and she knows all the things that we have to do. And I was like stoked about it because This is, this, I'll just talk about our, our marriage and how this fed into a loop. When we got into any sort of disagreement, I mean, the smallest, the smallest thing I needed to fix it as soon as possible. I needed to know that she wasn't mad at me. I needed to make it better because having us even be slightly annoyed with each other for even a, a, a day was torture to me. I couldn't I couldn't handle it, and I wanted to talk about it. Now, she, being very avoidant, the second we were even slightly annoyed with each other, even a small thing, she needed space. She couldn't be near me. She didn't want to talk to me about it. She uh, wanted to retreat a little bit. And so you can see how we would exacerbate our own, uh, systems because the second she takes a step away from me, uh, that triggers me and makes me more anxious. So I chase after her. I take a step, I take two steps towards her to get close to her again, to feel better. And then that triggers her attachment system. She feels trapped and claustrophobic and can't stand me. And so she wants to take three steps away from me. And then we just do this for all day. And, uh, I feel like I was a little bit more dominant. And so I feel like I, I got my way and forced her to have arguments more than, uh, she forced me to take time apart, you know, but there was no such thing as a little argument. Like every single tiny thing became a huge giant ordeal. Where we were just like crying over it, and and we would always like make up and like feel better. We I felt like we were pretty good communicators. We did a pretty good job of sifting through emotions and stuff, but it was just exhausting because we would do it again the next day. We would do it again the day after that. And it just keep going and going and going anytime she wanted to take like space, like she'd go on uh, trips, like work trips and stuff. And I think that these are in the late stages of our marriage. I think that she probably looked at those things as a relief, a vacation to be away from me. And they, I needed her to like call me and check in with me and, tell me how her trip was going. I missed her to death. I was like, spend all day wondering how she's doing. And then she wouldn't want to call me. And I would be like, why doesn't she want to call me? Why? Why? What's wrong? What's, what's the, what's the problem? What's the problem? And so then when I finally get on the phone, we would just fight. You know, because I'd be so triggered by then, yeah. so activated, as you said, I'd be activated, and uh, I'd be like, "Hi, so uh, like how how's it been?" <laughs> and you couldn't uh, find any time to call me during this whole day. <laughs> like immediately starting a fight with her, and uh, it just we just kept triggering each other. She would want space, and that would feel like death to me. I would want to talk about it, that would feel like death to her. But this doctor said, like, you know, I've got tools. I, I can, uh, we can work on this. And that seemed very hopeful to me. It didn't work out. She didn't want to go back to that to that person. She was just, like, done, you know. she Was this put up at the very a, end? This is the very, very end. This is, like, she told me, you know, in January that she was miserable. And I had to see a therapist by February, you know. But we only went, like, three or four times. And uh then it was she was just like it's done
1: did she want marriage counseling earlier in the marriage i couldn't remember when you talked about like not getting a therapist if there was like a point where i don't think we
0: i don't think we ever talked about seeing a counselor together which we should have i think it's great for any couple any couple should should do it
1: how early in the relationship do do you remember uh your attachment styles activating
0: it's real i only really think about the end i think about the end being really bad but because that's when like the fights were happening all the time but i think that even in the beginning we probably had problems just we had like when uh, the problems were spaced out more we didn't fight as yeah. much but when we did have a fight the fight were, was always that pattern you know i i i want to kiss and make up i want to talk it through i want to get the feelings aired out and she needs like her own personal head space to to think and stuff it just feels terrible to her and it has to and like the this woman explained like it has to do with your parents like and how uh you you interact with your parents as a kid and like it all fit in these patterns you know we could everything that they told me i was like oh yeah you mean like Tabitha has told me about her dad and her mom and stuff and how that's affected her and like this all this all lines up and and stuff
1: so i read that there are um you know, that it's a spectrum and that you have secure people and supposedly they make up 50% of the, I don't know where most of them are. I guess they're all off married somewhere.
0: Yeah, they're like none of the secure people are on Tinder, man.
1: But if you put it, like ideally everybody would partner up with a secure, but secures really don't have to, a secure is more likely to end up with a anxious because you know uh, a slightly anxious they could just kind of tolerate it but if you put a secure with a a dismissive avoidant then this dismissive avoidant will just kind of write themselves out of the script but ideally everyone would just end up with a secure because a secure could make them more secure themselves.
0: This just start when you just call them a secure. It starts to sound like a dystopian novel where like (laughs) all of society is broken up into these into this hierarchy. You're like, I only date secures. Oh, an avoidant. Ew. (laughs) But not in my clubhouse.
1: There are life experiences, or if you put like a hardcore anxious with a secure, the secure will start to become more avoidant. If mm. they'll get overwhelmed by the the anxious preoccupied and can uh, start to take on avoidant traits as a reaction. And then the opposite, if a secure falls in love with a avoidant, they could start to become anxious, anxious. in uh, in response to that. Mm. Okay, so... Here's what I figured out. Also, there are like life events that can happen. You can get cheated on and become anxiously preoccupied. Uh, Someone could leave you suddenly and it could change your attachment system. Mm -hmm. Like it is somewhat fluid.
0: So when we started dating, we had problems and both of us, I think, thought I think that the problems continued for a while because neither of us believed we were actually behaving the way we were this is i'm not doing a good job of explaining it you were convinced that you were a secure person yeah or if anything if you weren't secure you were probably more avoidant yeah uh, at least I, I would have me. cast you as an avoidant yeah uh everyone
1: who's ever had to deal with me uh, you seem, would cast yeah, me as yeah. an avoidant
0: and i knew f- for a fact that i was anxious i'd already been uh cleared by a professional right. as as being anxious right So uh, there were things that you do that I would accuse you of being like, Clingy. I'm like, that's you. You're seeming kind of clingy right now, and I think that the, these problems are your fault because you are being so clingy. Yeah. And uh you'd be like, that. That can't be true. uh I'm not a clingy person. I think that I'm pretty secure, and like, what I'm doing is just normal behavior. You, Aaron, are clearly being really avoidant. Like, you are are being emotionally distant and and pushing me away. And I'm like, well, that's not my calling card. Uh, <laughs> that's not what I do. I'm not emotionally distant. I'm being normal. And uh, you are the one that's uh, that's being that's being weird, you know, and when you finally started reading these uh, books and like sharing them with me, it was very difficult to refute that our attachment stuff that we were exhibiting all the the telltale signs of anxious and avoidant attachments. Yes. I had completely flipped. I was no longer an anxiously attached person. And I examined not just my relationship with you, but relationships with uh, other women that that I also thought were clingy and, and weird and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I've been avoidant uh, ever since the divorce. Yeah. And in we read that that's common. And that yep. makes perfect sense. I got my heart crushed. And so I was like, uh, I'll never do that again. I'll just I'll push people away if they if they try to love me, because I know deep down that it's a trick, you know? Yeah. And uh, you, I think, took a little uh, t- took a second. But like, finally, you know, why well, not? I let you tell your story of how you found out that you um- were. I was anxious. having
1: all of these anxiety weekends I talked about on the podcast. And what I now know is that my attachment system was activated during those that I was, uh, I was having an attachment system activation. Some of the things that played into that were I was secure, because I had been in a relationship with a secure for 14 years. And so I I can now look back and see in the first year or so Uh, I was anxious, preoccupied in the beginning of that relationship. And then I was avoidant for a minute in that relationship. And then I finally settled down. And I have told stories about drama in the beginning of the relationship with Jason, who would just be like, I don't understand this. Do you just need to get your blood pumping or something? And it was so disarming because there was just like a brick wall with him to where I would realize that whatever I was upset about was gibberish. And I would just calm down. But I just knew, I just knew that I was safe with this person. Everything's fine. He's not going anywhere. And Jason needed long stretches of distance. Like Jason uh, needed, if he was like trying to, ac- he's very ambitious. If he was trying to accomplish something at work, we wouldn't talk for days. And sometimes I would get, but I could just literally be like, are we okay? And he could say, yeah. And I just knew it was true and it was fine. And uh, I didn't realize how much of what I talk about in the what is love episode was just speaking from the privilege of someone who had been in a relationship with someone so secure, but so perfectly secure because I am avoidant. I do have a lot of avoidant traits. So I had this like I used to call it a mutually aloof relationship where we just lived our own lives, came together when we came together. It was great. And then just went back to doing our own thing. I could leave town. We wouldn't talk for days. Nobody felt weird. And when
0: you reference the what is love episode, you're talking about you were telling giving me the advice about loving with an open hand and just like paths that are next to each other. And sometimes they diverge and that's okay. And you just have to love someone with an open hand. Don't try to hold on to them or anything you just love with open-handed that was hard for me an anxious uh person to hear because i was like still grieving my relationship with tabitha and still holding on to her even though she was gone i'm holding on to this ghost to this memory of her just with a clutched fist and you were trying to get me to open my hand up and uh, you just made it sound so easy
1: Because it was easy at that time. And I don't know what, so I'm sitting in, this is months into this anxiety that I don't understand because I haven't had anxiety in forever. And when I really track back the last time I had anxiety, it would be the last time I was anxious, preoccupied in a relationship. My first relationship, my first love was with someone who kept cheating on me and who devalued me. All the time and who I wasn't good enough for and I became like off the charts anxious preoccupied in that relationship and then my next love was another avoidant who exhibited some similar behaviors to the first one and I just got triggered and back into anxious preoccupied. My next love was Jason, he was secure. And I think I came at you with... Uh, we didn't know really what we were, but I came at you was like, yeah, I'm Jessa. I'm detached and aloof and secure, and my whole thing on love was like, yeah, I love you. It's fine. Like that was like I remember you talking about and uh, what was the Mormon thing? An anxious concern for uh, uh,
0: another person's well being. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have like I have that now. I turned the heater on this morning because it was cold and then laid down and for an hour was just freaking out because you already didn't have covers on. So you were already probably too warm. But now if I get up and turn the heater off, then you're not going to I'm going to wake you up if I get up. Like I have this kind of inconsiderate on accident uh, for most people. And I do have like an anxious preoccupation with you. So anyway, I'm I'm at a I'm hanging out in the park with Virginia Jones. And this is, I think, the end of the summer. And I think she's just telling me her story because she had a similar situation. Uh, she's an ex-Mormon, uh, similar diver- divorce story.
0: Our patrons will remember an interview with her that we did. Yeah. She's great.
1: One of my best friends. And she uh, starts talking about attachment styles. I talk a little bit about you. And she said, yeah, it sounds like you're anxious, preoccupied. And I can't tell you how hard I rejected. It's so embarrassing. How hard I was like, oh no. Uh, me? <laughs> no, no way. I'm Jessa Reed. I'm never, like, nobody feels like I am attached to them. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I am the most detached person. It's my entire identity is yeah. how detached I am. And she was like, okay, whatever. And then a few months later, some stuff's coming up on Facebook. I click on one of these articles. And whatever it was, the, the moment that I had realized that I actually was anxious, preoccupied, I cried my eyes out. It was so humiliating to me, like so humiliating is the only uh, word I could think. There is nothing more awful and embarrassing to me than that I am attached to another person or that I feel I need another person. Why do you think that is? I think I think I came to a lot of the conclusions that someone with an avoidant attachment system comes to, and that is uh, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. You'll never get that from me. And if you look at the, all the times I've been hurt in love, my uh, pattern is uh, I fall the fuck apart when it's happening, and then at some point I can't handle the rejection. And I will just like cut my leg off to get out of the trap. I'll do so, something so violent and awful to myself emotionally to get out. And then I'll usually move across the country, cut that person off or hurt them really bad. And part of hurting them really bad is uh, to, get them, away from to get them away. I want to, to sever this in a way that I know that you won't come back because it's the only way I know how to get free. And it's humiliating to admit I won't stop until I do that. And, um, the first time I did this was at 12 to my mom. And I think that my attachment system is based around my relationship with my mom. Do you
0: think, so do you, are you saying that you got, you developed a- avoidance to compensate for the anxious attachment that you felt? Yeah. You were anxiously attached. You hated it. So you just, in Jessa Reed style, went in and changed the wires and you're just like, I'll just, I'll just completely change. Yeah force this
1: i uh have broken my own heart to get away from everyone that i've ever loved before with the exception of jason um even with jason i just started crying about the divorce which was much more of a soft landing and a, and a, a separation that just was like okay this makes sense but um I wasn't being hurt in that relationship but the just the sadness of the fact that it had to end and that it was over uh did not hit me until a year later because my my psychological makeup just isolates pain isolates trauma in a way that I just keep moving forward and I don't feel like I'm someone who's out of touch with my emotions or someone who uh Bury stuff. I, I talk about everything. I don't avoid, you know, when I think of someone who buries stuff, you try to talk to them about the trauma. I have freely talked about this trauma my entire life. But what I'm realizing is my relationship with pain, I just, I compartmentalize it. I don't have access to it. And uh, for whatever reason, a lot of that is uh, coming up now through this activation of my attachment system. So what was happening, and now when I think back on the things I was saying and the things I was thinking, uh, that's exactly what was happening. I was activated and then I was trying to use all of my usual tools to talk myself out of the rafters and none of them were working because of the uniqueness of this relationship. And, um, I couldn't just cut you out of my life. I couldn't do something horrible to you and push you away. I have a fucking podcast with you. You know, we have a, a a whole thing that we've built together. You are my best friend. And, uh, I mean, they were all my best friends, but I like, I don't have any of my, none of the tools in this toolbox work for this situation. And, uh, once I realized that I was anxious, preoccupied. I took a little bit of time to process how humiliating that was and started to think about, I'm someone that can't, can't attach to people to the point where I had to read a book on how to attach to my kids, yet I am humiliated at the idea that I just love someone and am attached to them. Where do those two things connect? Where inside of me is the humiliation of my true feelings just flipping a switch. And that's a big part of avoidance, right? Is that they do crave intimacy. They do uh, want it, but their attachment system just flips a switch. And it's like, this isn't it. You're not. This isn't it. It's somewhere else. Go find it somewhere else. Mm. Um, I never feel like it's anywhere else. I just feel like. Because when it does happen, it feels to me like... I'm being taken advantage of. I'm making a fool of myself. I have led a wolf into the hen house and I hate I hate the part of me that has emotional need. I hate it. It feels so weak to me and so humiliating.
0: I feel uh, as someone who's done the opposite, been anxious and switched to avoidant, feel similarly, but I don't I don't hate the part of me that needs emotional need. I don't. I like it, but like I I feel I still feel like people that love me are wolves. <laughs> that it is a trap. That they're just, it's just a trick, and uh, so I'm not gonna give anything to people because uh, I like I like the emotional needy part of myself, but I'm like protecting it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but everything. Like love feels very claustrophobic now. It's uh, very difficult to accept because it feels constrictive and it feels like a trap. And I get all kinds of thoughts in my head about uh, how it's how that person is probably taking advantage of me. And like uh, I thought uh, I've thought lots of thoughts about you in that same vein. Yeah. Where you're just uh, you're just saying something to get something from me. Yeah, feels uncomfortable.
1: I have thought, uh, like we have had a uh, couple of situations. Not to make this too much about our dynamic, but it is such a textbook. I feel like this is
0: kind of about our yeah dynamic now. (laughs) I know we were like planning on getting to the snow globes thing, but uh,
1: I realize that attachment is a is an important uh, prequel to the snow globes thing because. they are similar, but in all of the thoughts and feelings that I have tried to unpack, there, there like have been points where you have uh, come closer, and then I feel like I'm being tricked. It's a trick. I'm being tricked. This is a, a plot uh, against me. And what I will get into on the next one uh, is uh, core beliefs, stories, and uh, a broader version of the attachment system is the threat system. And how they all kind of overlap. But uh, as I became aware of behaviors and and had words and uh, understanding of what they were, things became easier. And I think judging by your behavior, it uh, is vice versa. So although it feels like every time we conquer one part of our system, Uh, we're back in the shit again. But it's actually just newer, deeper things. But I have found that it's much easier for me to disconnect online when we are apart, which used to be something where I needed to take your temperature and I almost never have that compulsion anymore. And it used to be very difficult for you to just like emoji something that I said so that I know that everything's okay. Yeah, Uh, if you told me
0: that if you sent an I love you text... I couldn't say it back. It felt, I don't know. I just didn't like, I didn't like it. I did not like it feel. I don't know. I don't know if I can describe it. It seems, uh, this is where I realized like, okay, maybe I've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because in my head I wouldn't ever even really acknowledge it as a problem. I'd be like, yeah, well, uh, I'm busy right now. And she Well, knows you'd say she... like,
1: I uh, don't know if I love, like I'm mad right now. That's... Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to say it right now while I'm mad or something like that. And now I can do it yeah you say I love you and even if I'm upset I'll just say it back I say I love you uh, e- uh, even if I, I need space even if yeah whatever I'll say oh I can I can type ILY and it's not that it's yeah not, it's not the end of the world you can do it you can do that <laughs>
1: And uh, likewise, I have noticed like you just had a, a rough weekend and I have left you alone for a day before I understood attachment, but it was like white knuckling, like it was torture. So what we'll t- we'll talk about in the next episode, things I have learned uh, beyond the attachment system is uh, core beliefs and stories, the threat system, uh, which I think may have a lot A lot to do with my anxiety uh, beyond attachment stuff. Like, I think my attachment system then triggers my threat system and snow globes, which is uh, a metaphor. Just a hobby, just a collection. (laughs) uh, A metaphor used in uh, one of the books that I've read about uh, what our core beliefs do to our present moment experiences. The. Recorder died, and so I think I may have been on a tangent and forgot it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sorry about that. Um, Were
0: we about at an hour, though, when it died?
1: We were, yeah, we were pretty close. So we can leave this one here, and uh, next week or or whenever we do uh, the continuation of it, we can talk more about the snow globes and the, the core stories and stuff we have learned from there.
0: You guys haven't ever heard of attachment theory before? Is there any books, Jessa, that they should be looking up? Or just... uh,
1: my favorite, I read a million, obviously, but my favorite was one called Attached. Also, Is that uh, the one
0: that I read. Yes, Is that the, that one had lots and lots of stories of people's attachment. Things. That
1: wasn't even the story one, but that wasn't uh, one? no.
0: Oh. That one I felt when you talked about feeling so uh, ashamed. Of being anxious, like having attachment, you just felt embarrassed, you said, I feel I felt ashamed in a different way. I felt guilty for being avoidant. The more I read that book, I felt very guilty that I felt like I was a bad person. I felt like I was bad. And I I didn't like that book because I felt like that book had a slant. I felt like that book was nicer to anxious people than it was to avoidant people. And the the vignettes that they would share of people that were avoidant, they'd be like, you yeah, this guy, and I'd be like, you know, fuck you, man. But Jessica said something nice to me one time about how, uh, like, no one was doing anything wrong, like, and there's uh, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing inherently bad about an attachment style. Like everybody's got one and they've got good qualities and bad qualities to them. And like, you don't have to feel embarrassed or ashamed if you're avoidant and you don't have to feel embarrassed or ashamed. If you're anxious, you just work on it. You just work on the things and, uh, you like, yeah, work on being happy and making other people happy.
1: One of the, um, the things they talk about, like, uh, relationship satisfaction a lot in that book. And they, uh, They talk about the avoidant will be less sad at a breakup because he did his detaching in the relationship. And that like some of the stuff that was did seem kind of slanted because he can't they can't feel they can't feel their attachment like they are deactivating where the other person is like hyperactivating and so yeah the book kind of said a bunch of stuff like if a if a anxious preoccupied can just find a secure then they can go on to be happy. The dismissive person is just going to be alone forever because they'll just Piece meet people shit. and tear them down and and yeah. fantasize about a pretend yeah, person.
0: Yeah, the, the authors had been like hurt by an avoidant person. Also, I am very willing to admit that I could have just been interpreting it this way because I am defensive and projecting. But thinking about being less sad when a relationship's over, I was thinking about that just recently because... I think people are crazy when they jump into a relationship. I see people jumping into a relationship. I think they're crazy. Tabitha jumped into a relationship while I, you know, lived this, uh, this, this life of self-imposed punishment, and I th- thought I was much more noble than she was. She was very weak. She's just jumping into a new relationship, which will end, which will end, and that's something that, like, I ca- I'm thinking about now all the time. It was it's very difficult for me to start a relationship without thinking about how it's ending because i'm like what's the point of starting something what's the point of making you my girlfriend jessa because that just means we will eventually break up and uh the longer we're together the worse it will be because the more of myself i will give to you and the harder it will be for me to uh like when we break up like it'll be terrible and it's just the but I'm like well what if we're together for a really long time and like that's scarier to me I'm like it'd be better if we broke up uh tomorrow or something the like that 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 just sounds so much worse if we're if we're happy for a really long time and then we break up that's that's a that's a nightmare scenario you know uh and so I refused to give myself to you and I refu- I didn't want to like be your boyfriend I didn't want to start anything because that would m- mean it, it was over it's already over as soon as we start it. you know and then I watched those people that jumped into a relationship go through their eventual breakup and I'm like yeah well I was right I was right look how much pain you guys are in now because you've st- stupidly jumped you've said you were in love with someone that you had just met and now you're breaking up but those people were happy for a while and i was never happy like i just never had anything because i uh i i i explained it all away in my mind first And then, and then broke up before I ever uh, even dated someone, you know, just there, like it's already over in my head. So I never, these people that I look down on were at least happy for a while. And then they, then they were sad when they broke up and like, but like, that's normal. That's part of life. That's part of the experience. They don't mind it. Then they're on to the next thing. And I think, how do you do that? How'd you do that? I look at my past self and I ask, how did you do that? How did I just jump into a relationship with Tabitha? I met her. Dude, I had a goal. I had a goal. Sorry, I know we were wrapping up and, no, now, like I'm, and now I'm rolling. But when I came home from my mission, so the the end of the mission, they really uh, emphasize marriage to you. Right. That's, and it's no secret. They're like, uh... <laughs> you, you your know, next you, mission. Yeah, your next mission is to get laid, my brother. My... My best Mormon friend Spencer was obsessed with getting married. Like at the end of his mission, that's all he had a one-track mind. Uh, At the last, we were both the zone leaders, and we have zone conference, and uh, is where all the missionaries of the zone get together, and you like you they you get interviewed by the president, and you get like training from the zone leaders and stuff, and you it's a cool day, it's fun. You get to hang out with other missionaries you haven't seen in a while. You get mail from the from the a mission office and stuff. It's great. Like you get package <laughs> from your mom and you, you get to eat uh, a pizza and something and then take the train home. It's a good day. But they, we would have the exiting missionaries at every zone conference. If it's your last, if it's your last zone conference, you would bear testimony and it's kind of like a goodbye thing. But we'd always ask every missionary to bear their testimony on whatever the theme was the theme every, every month change or every zone conference changes to focus on a different aspect to preach my gospel. This was finding people was the, the area of focus. And so it's Spencer's last. And so he gets up to, uh, bear his testimony to our entire zone and about finding people, meaning like, uh, like, investigators how to how to find new people to teach the gospel to and he gives a i think like 10 minute testimony 100% on getting married <laughs> That's all he talks about. That's all he talks about. He's just like, you know, I've been doing a lot of studying lately, and I know that like my next my next mission is to is to be sealed in the temple for all time and eternity and to find an eternal companion. Like he just goes on and on and on about this. And we all I keep waiting for him to turn it back to yep. the the theme. And he just doesn't. He just doesn't. He just <laughs> promises all of, like that like uh uh that marriage is important and necessary and stuff, and then he says amen and sits down, and then the, the next missionary gets up and he's like so um, chapter 10 of Preach My Gospel is about finding people. And Spencer ju- like just jolts and like, turns next to me and grabs my arm. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. <laughs> and then I wasn't there for it because uh, only the missionaries that were going home. Like you go to the mission president's house at the very end of the mission and you like get to have dinner with him and his wife and like everybody bears testimony again. So I wasn't there for that, but the, the assistants told me that all Spencer did talk talk about that night was again, just getting married. (laughs) How long did it take him? Uh, yeah, he actually didn't get married until after me. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I, on the other hand was like, I'm not, I'm not going to get married. Like, well, I never said I wouldn't. I was like, I'll get married when I get married, but I'm not going to rush it. I'm not trying to get married. It'll happen when it's supposed to happen. That was my attitude. And I went home. I was in a singles ward, and my goal uh for that summer was to go on a date with every single girl in the singles ward i remember like count like counting them out and being like yeah i could just go on a date with all of them just like one a week maybe i could do two a week or something i'm not doing anything i'll just date everybody and i like dated uh i went on like single dates with a bunch of great attractive girls and and whatever and then i met tabitha and i was like stop i'm not dating anyone else this is the one this is it this is who i want I can't imagine being with anyone else. And then we were like engaged, uh, within a month and we were married within four. We, and I just committed. And I think, how did you do that? <laughs> who, who, who were you? Who, who, how? Because I can't, I, I can't commit to anything. And it, like at all, at all, it's terrifying to me. And this old version of me just did it like it was nothing. But I, I mean, I, I chalk it up to naivety, you know, and like when I, that's why my divorce was so hard because I didn't know that you could just like stop being married. Right. Yeah. I, I had the, a false sense of security. It I felt
1: think. like a sure thing. Yeah. So yeah. it didn't it feel wasn't, like a risk. It wasn't
0: a sure thing, but I just, I never had to worry because I knew that we were together for eternity.
1: Right. The question's like, can I spend eternity with this person? Not, uh, uh, can I spend a few years with this person, and they could potentially leave at the yeah. end? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I was just like, we're we're in it together forever," and then we have a family together, and like my parents are still together, and I, uh, her parents are still together. We just thought we'll be together forever, and uh, now that's that's fantasy land like that's just crazy to me and i see people just meet and and then they start dating i think about uh the women before you that uh wanted to date me and i was just like what are you talking about what are you talking you don't know me you don't know me at all why would you want to date me are you kidding like it seems wild wildly insane to me but then i do think maybe those people do are at least happy for a while. Like, I think that they're all idiots who are lying to themselves and are setting themselves up for pain, but at least they are happy uh, in the interim.
1: Uh, we had mentally prepared for a, an end might happen at some point. We hadn't lied to ourselves, but we didn't like let the eventual end shit on the present You know, because we did have a ton of great years like that was that was a chapter of my life and that was my partner for that chapter of my life. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of them, Mm. any of you's for to protect myself from the end, you know, but I can see why uh,
0: it feels so scary to me. (sighs) Anyway.
1: Which brings us to uh, the next episode about uh, stories.
0: Yeah. Let's on to the next episode. We, uh, Guys, if you haven't uh, yet, please leave us a review on uh, like, you know, just a scrap of paper that you have. Just to write it down and then just, uh, uh, I don't know, hand it to someone else and, uh, so, they, <laughs> so they know how much you uh, like the podcast. And... Make sure that you uh, come see our shows. com has got details on all of our upcoming shows, and uh, our Patreon is uh, popping off right now. Lots of cool things going on, so sign up for that, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time on Mormon and the Meth
1: If you put a Mormon and a method together,
0: this is what they sound like. So read our friends, listen to them talking to Mike
1: It's a good show!